the Making Sense of Life podcast, episode four. According to J.K. Rowling, life is difficult and complicated and beyond anyone's total control. The humility to know that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. The Making Sense of Life podcast will not only empower you to navigate through a fast-changing world, but also to grow in body, mind and spirit. Inward change precedes outer transformation. As the ancient Greek author Plutarch once said, what we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. This podcast is sponsored by Logos Medical Legal. Sunil also works privately with senior leaders. Go to drsunil.com forward slash corporate to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Making Sense of Life podcast with me, Sunil Raheja. Uh, today we've got a very special guest, uh, Joe Swinney. Hello there, Joe. Hello. Hi. Hi. Well, we're so pleased to have you with us. Joe is the author of a book called Through the Dark Woods, A Young Woman's Journey Out of Depression. Um, now, if you struggle with depression or you've got a friend who struggles with depression, I'm going to be quite bold and say you need to get this book. Um, it's very very well written and with Joe giving her own personal story and uh, through that let me just give you the introduction from James Jones just a little before Joe speaks to us just let that James Jones who's who who's done the forward he's gonna give a little introduction about Joe. Joe is fun she's serious she's open yet protective of her, of her own identity she's an adventurer but doesn't forget where the safe places are like a strong swimmer always with an eye on the beach she writes engagingly and takes you to places that are familiar to every human being. Herein lies the importance of her story. Depressive feelings, as well as moments of elation, are the emotions of being alive and form the experience of us all. And clinical depression affects, afflicts one in five of us. All of us will in our lifetime either experience depression or be affected intimately by someone who is depressed. This honest testimony of a young woman will help you identify and name these episodes and to know with a little more wisdom how to be and what to do when they happen. So that's the introduction from um, James Jones, who uh, from the forward from the book. Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I, I looked at your blog, and there we hear you're a writer, a speaker, and an editor. Uh, you blog about spiritual life, depression, and being a writer. That's at joeswinney.com. Uh, and since January 2014, you've been head of communications for the leaders of Worship and Preachers Trust, an editor of Preach magazine. Tell us a bit more, tell us a little bit more about yourself, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I have two little girls. They are eight and five, and I suppose my work life has um, grown up around them a little bit. So they're both at school now, as of last September. So yeah. I have been taking on a, a bit more work. Yes. My husband is an Anglican associate vicar. Okay. Yeah. And I'm fairly involved in our church, and um, I have. A lot of lovely friends and I try and keep some margins in for doing more than work and, yes. and looking after the family. So yes. it's a good life, it's a full life but a good life. Great, and I see as well you're a novice gardener, an avid reader, an ex-traveller, a food lover on a long-term diet like us all, oh, yeah. <laughs> huh. and an answer of probing questions and a strict observer of bedtime. So um, 
And my my dad had to go into hospital when I was five for a right. few weeks. And one of one of his friends said to him, "Well, at least you will have a break from the probing mind of Joe." <laughs> okay, okay, right. And her inquisitive questions. Mm. Okay, so I'm sort of turning the tables a bit, a little bit here, because I'm going to be hopefully asking you some probing questions, which I think will be really very helpful to to our listeners. Um, you're the eldest of four. You're from a loving Christian family. Lived in Portugal from the age of five. International school. You were bullied at school, um, but had a happy home life, enjoying the outs outdoors. Uh, boarding school from 13 to 18, which you described as the first two years were hell, the second two years were bearable, and the last two years were enjoyable. Uh, and then a gap year in Zimbabwe, which you described as rebellion and emptiness. And um, that was fun. <laughs> but it was fun. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, then you went to Birmingham, did East Africa studies, East African, went to Canada for your master's in Christian studies. Then you, there you met your husband, Sean, from Minneapolis, uh, the day after 9-11. Um, we, we might talk about that later on. And uh, But in terms of just your own background, with your struggle with depression, you talk about probably a genetic predisposition and temperamentally prone. Anything you want to say about that? Well, I think we have our... We have our character makeup, don't we? And yes. I am someone who experiences the highs and lows yes. within normal boundaries. And sometimes they do tip into a bit more of an extreme experience of yes. of sadness or lowness. Yes. Um, I've discovered as, as an adult in later life that um, depression, it might not have been called that or, or given a diagnosis, but it's it seems to have reared its head in yes. various generations that have come before me. Yes, okay, in, in, in the family, yeah. And it's understanding oneself, the in, intense emotions that can go either way, and I can certainly identify with that as well. Let's talk about the book. So um, the book's got a wonderfully conversational style, lots of lots of references, and also for what obviously can be quite a heavy subject, it's, it's just charmingly light-hearted in places. Um, oh, you've got you. single-word chapter headings, which I think are really helpful. And on page 27, you say that the two main aims of the book are to describe what depression feels like and to offer solidarity for those who have felt depressed. Uh, and that's why I think it is, in that sense, such a helpful book. Um, because, as you say, all cases are unique, but at the same time, they can be very similar to others. And when we're, we're, when we're going through those low patches, we can feel it's just me and, and I'm there all by my, myself. But um, that's not the case, is it? I think one of the worst things about depression is the sense, for me anyway, is the sense of isolation and loneliness. Yes. And that you are going quietly crazy while other people um, are living almost on a different planet, but around you. So I certainly found, <clears throat> have found when I've met people or talked to people who know what it is from the inside, it's yeah. very validating and it's very comforting. Yeah. And, um, and it's also can be quite quite surprising similar images and metaphors or words people use to try and capture what is fairly difficult to pin down as an experience. So you'll hear people say that they feel like they're in a thick fog or that they, they've died but their body is still walking around alive or that they're under ice um, falling through space, those kind of yes, those descriptions. Kind of, absolutely. Yes. And do you want to just share with us, you know, 
in terms of your own story, as it were, through the dartboard, in terms of your own personal experience, in terms of, I think, um, your first episode when you were age 13 when starting boarding school, and, and then how things have been from there, like that. Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, when I was 13, I went back from Portugal to England for boarding school, and I had very high expectations of what it would be like because of the experience I'd had of bullying in Portugal and a lot of people hoped hoped things for me and I hoped things for myself and so part of what happened was just disillusionment and the shock of how different it was from what I had built up in my mind. Um, Then there was culture shock and the English winter which yes. was very much darker than I was used to. Yeah, short, it was a bit of a nights. flipping comment, short, short, but really, yeah. it can it can be quite it can be quite invasive, can't it? The, yeah. the darkness. <laughs> Absolutely, um, after October thirty first, when the, when the when the nights get longer, yes. Yeah. And so I had some kind of objective reasons for struggling, but what I remember about that was that very quickly, my mind wasn't really responding to those things. It was more that I felt um, things shutting down, so complete loss of perspective. Yeah. Uh, I was I I had no frame of reference for what was happening. The word yeah. depression or the the symptoms that go along with that were I'd never I'd never been exposed to them. Yeah. And looking back, it was sort of pretty textbook, I suppose, in terms of what was happening to me: losing my appetite, waking yeah. up at four in the morning, and lying there full of fear but unable to move, um, yes. crying almost continually, feeling um, that all I could think of was about my own shortcomings and I was being bullied again and I took that as confirmation that I was deficient because yes. it had happened to me before and here I was in another setting happening again. So yes. I thought objectively that was kind of proof that I wasn't acceptable. Yes. And, and, um, yeah. I just felt... I couldn't see out of the moment, and the moment itself was unbearably painful, really. Yeah. And you talk about, I think, in the book, four periods of major depression and long-term dysthymia until the age of 25, is what what you say there. Uh Yeah, so from that first, I think that first sort of really extreme period of disappearing into it was about four months. And then I worked incredibly hard to dig myself out, but from that point, as you say, till I was 25, it was more a question of periods of respite from depression mm. um, than the other way around, than periods of depression in a normal life. Yes, yes. And then, and then you say, I think since then, you, you, you've, you've, you've had no major episodes since then, but you've, and you've also had your, your girls, and, you know, very thankful that you didn't, as it were, have any postnatal depression after that, which, which, see could have been a risk yeah yeah so when I finished the book I think um so that Which was in 2006 wasn't it 2006 yeah. yeah so in nine years ago now and I think I thought well 10 years ago when I finished writing it before it went through the press and everything mm. I I did think I'd put it behind me yeah. and that it wasn't going to feature and the truth is that it still lurks around mm. the edges sometimes yes um, I, when I was 25, I had some really amazing therapy with a psychiatrist yes. for years, every week, and she got me on some great meds. They had to try three or four different 
kinds before we found one that made a difference and when we did it made a huge difference wonderful yes. um so years later i'm still taking the meds yes. i've tried to come off a couple of times and it was fairly disastrous so i've made my peace with yes. the long-term nature of that and i definitely am in a much stronger place but i do still feel vulnerable to yes it. and you need to have those those protective um disciplines and habits which will hopefully will come to later on um in place as well yes yeah. um let me just quote it from the book because your this your your mum on page 29 wrote it wrote this to you as you say with great wisdom and insight it says this is her, her letter to you you must fight your feelings of depression joe they allow you to believe things about yourself and life and god that are not true they damage your faith and trust in God and make them melt away like snow on a sunny day. And they damage you and make it very difficult for people to come close to you. Resist the temptation to get locked up inside yourself. Um, and that was, that was a letter to, that your mum wrote to you. And I suppose what I'd say, what I'd like to ask you, if you could talk to your 13 or 20 year old self with the benefit of hindsight, what would you say to yourself? Oh, well, I had such fear about the future that used to just eat me alive. And I would say everything works out better than you could have imagined. Yes. Yes, there is but something I about that. I also know that my 13-year-old, 20-year-old self wouldn't have been able to hear that. Yes. Yes. There is, there is something about, as, as your mother writes and as you're saying there as well, that you're, you're telling yourselves about... You're telling, you're telling things about yourself and about life that are just not true. And when they're locked up inside you, they can have this incredible amount of power. Um, mm. And it's, in a sense, if you can allow a little chink of just questioning their power, then they can really, as it were, begin to, you can begin to see change. But as you said, whether you can hear that at the time or not is, is another matter. I think the thing about depression and mm anyone who's been there will know this even even one second is almost beyond bearing so mm. if i if i had told myself you know you're gonna you're gonna come through this if it hadn't been you know in five minutes I'm, that might have been a horrible thing <laughs> i might yeah. not have found that very comforting yes but i think also the importance as well and again the, why we're keen you know to, to interview you for this podcast as well is that when you're going through it you do feel so alone um, yeah. And it's so important that we we have an understanding that that well, in terms of giving a name to it as well, you know, the power of of, of using the dreaded D word. Um, I think of Sue Atkinson. She talks about this uh, in her book, which you quote on page forty four. Uh, what gave me my first insight into into the idea that doctors and psychiatrists might not always be right with their labels was that each one of us, each each one I saw, gave me a different name. You gave me a different one. Not only was that really mind-blowingly funny, it was also utterly disconcerting. I didn't see myself as a psychic depressive with paranoid tendencies. I was a hurting person, and I wanted to know why. So there's something about, it's good to, as it were, like that Churchill talked about his black dog that mm. was there. And so there is this depression. The depression is not, is not me, although often at times it can feel like that. But there's also a sense of, I need to separate myself away from that. Um, when I worked at the um, National yeah. Society for Epilepsy, we were yeah. very big on not calling people epileptics, but people right. with epilepsy. 
Yeah. And I think it's a similar similar idea really that the condition is not the person. Yes, that's right. And so there's that whole issue about dealing with ourselves with what we're struggling through and then again other people's perception of us and maybe the stigma or the shame that we can feel that you know I should be able to pull myself together or I should be able to why am I doing this like that yeah yeah um let's talk you, you talk as well in the book about um support and you had that friend Laurel who came to stay and, and the hard work of supporting her um and then also about is again which we talked 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 about um this this loss of reality seeing seeing a family photo and saying it would have been perfect if i were if i were were not in it but you had a friend at the time um yeah i think a friend called penny yeah. uh, one day i was looking at some family photos with a friend called penny and told a straight face that my family would have been perfect if i were not in it she told me pretty firmly that i was being ridiculous and i didn't dare think that particular and and I did dare think that particular thought again. If you can bear to sit and listen to the ramblings of a negative and self-absorbed human and help them to sort their thoughts out, you'll be doing them a great service. Um, and in a sense, that sort of disproving that, that phrase, cry and you cry alone, you know, smile and the world smiles with you, cry and you cry alone. But the key thing is it's having the right people because um, that that lady Penny was was a person who who could speak very firmly and directly to you and challenge and shake you out of that sort of very negative self-talk. Do you want to say a bit more about that? Mm. Um, yeah, so we, we had a pre, you know, we had a, a strong and robust relationship, I suppose. She was a bit, she was um, probably 10 years or so older than me, yeah. so I respected her. Um, she, she was very kind, and I knew that about her. So I think... I think there was a bit of me that was shocked at how straightforward and how direct and it was pretty well a reprimand that she yes. gave me and it sort of shook me out of out yes. of the state of mind I'd been in because I had I had thought that was a perfectly rational thought. Yes. And that's um, the challenge isn't it? It's, it's getting the, the right balance between in being empathic and understanding and getting alongside. And then appropriately challenge and challenging, and you really need a lot of wisdom for that to get that right balance. You do, and I think I think the point about the pre-existing relationship is important. You have to have trust. Yes. To... You've built up that trust. Yeah, you can't just go barging in. You know, just pull your socks up, get you know, get, get yourself sorted out. You know, that yeah. kind of thing, which which is just isn't going to work. Um, yeah, an example you give in the book is the friendship between William Cooper or Cowper or however you want to call him and John Newton. Uh, and Cooper, who was I think, was sent to boarding school at the age of six on the death of his mother, where he was horribly bullied. Repeat that bullying theme. He had four major episodes of depression, survived many suicide attempts, and was committed into an asylum for the, for the insane for a year and a half. And he came to a personal faith in Christ. Um, uh, but then this friendship with John Newton, really, the two of them struck up a deep and sincere friendship, as well as collaborating on a book of hymns. And then when Newton moved to London. They stayed closely in touch. And Newton was the kind of friend that every person with depression should have. And this is a key point. He visited often. On one occasion, he gave up his vacation to be with Cooper when he was feeling suicidal. His affection was unwavering and his patience outstanding. And after a visit in 1788, Cooper wrote, I found those comforts in our visit, which have formerly sweetened all our interviews in part restored. I knew you, knew you for the same shepherd who was sent to lead me out of the wilderness 
into the pasture where the chief shepherd feeds his flock and felt my sentiments of affectionate friendship for you the same as ever. We don't write like that these days, do we? But I was going to say the last art of letter writing. That's eloquent. right. <laughs> but, uh, but you can see a real, you know, deep bond of friendship and that Cooper so deeply appreciated. Um, yes. And then obviously in the scriptures, we've got the examples of, of Job and how not to treat someone who's depressed. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it really is an important art form, the, the art form of friendship and getting along, alongside someone who's suffering and getting that right balance. Um, Job's friends, you have to credit them for trying, don't you? <laughs> That's right. They do, they do sit there for quite a long time, right. quietly, before they start saying the wrong thing. <laughs> yes, and I suppose that, that there is that issue, that there is this element of, of mystery as well. Um, yes, you know, some, some depression can be a consequence of... Of, of of things that we've done wrong in the past and guilt but there is a, a large part that you know and some can be due to health physical health thyroid issues all sorts of things but there is an element of mystery as well and so we've got to tread very very carefully uh, in passing judgment um, um joe let's move on let, let's, let's let's talk about then in chapter six the white relationships uh, you talk about um meeting sean your husband after um the day after 9 11 um Tell us a little bit about that story as well. And, um, yeah, 9-12 yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, I had been studying in Canada for a year and yeah. he arrived at my, during my second year and it was a fairly um, quick recognition of each other, I suppose, mm-hmm. a bit like that. Yeah. We come from very, very different backgrounds and we're very different in many ways, but there was a feeling of coming home for both of us when we met. Yes. A real sense of kindred spirits, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, and you talk about in the book, you know, um, he says, uh, while we were dating and engaged, I just about stayed out of a proper depression. I teetered on the edge once or twice, but never fell in. Every now yeah, and then. Yeah, um, yeah, Paul yeah. Sean, he never met, he never met, um, depressed Joe. So no. after it was too late and he was <laughs> committed. Yes. Yeah, you, you describe him as a very sunny person on the home on the whole, very even temper. Um uh, he should be the one with yeah, because he said you said he had had a, had a rough upbringing, so this is a surprising quality. He should be the one with the emotional issues, not me. Anyway, on our honeymoon, you write, I started crying and didn't stop for about four months. Wow. By then he had promised to take me, better or worse, sickness or health, till death was due part. Ha! Huh. He couldn't escape. I felt like I tricked him into marrying me while I was okay, and then pulled a whole new proposition out of the bag once the deal had been signed and sealed. I really did feel sorry for him. <laughs> yeah, so to, but to, do you want to say a bit more about that? Or, uh, hmm. Well, I think when, you, when you're in that first flush of the emotion around meeting somebody and deciding to get married yeah. you can you can be very optimistic about what you can take and then those vows that we make they really they're big vows yes huge. and we did test them quite early yes and I mean bless him it was it wasn't it's not easy being married to someone who has depression and yes. I wasn't 
the kind of new bride I think he thought he was going to get. Yes. Uh, he dealt very well with it, really. Yes. And it was quite an eye-opener to me yes. to realise that someone could could be that close to me day in, day out, and, and not be frightened to the yes. other side of the planet. That's right. I think before I had been very careful to manage and monitor who knew what to what degree so I spread around my neediness and yes very very few people if anyone knew the extent of where I went in dark times yes and so it was quite frightening to have Sean know that in a more sustained way that's Um, right and and the risk of in the sense of what he could do with that because that's always you know in love it always has its risks as in you're ultimately being being vulnerable like that and and as you say, I think as you say in the book, marriage is is a painful grace. But I mean, I think the probably the, the point also thing to point out is that it's very easy to think, well, um, it, it might have been, you know, it, it, it might have been easier if there was no depression. But every marriage has its challenges. And you quote very helpfully Mike Mason uh, from his book, The Mystery of Marriage, who writes, "Marriage is a relationship far more engrossing." than we want it to be. So that's any marriage, okay? Yeah. It always turns out to be more than we bargained for. It is disturbingly intense, disruptively involving, and that is exactly the way it was designed to be. It is supposed to be more, almost, than we can handle. It was meant to be a lifelong encounter that would be much more rigorous and demanding than any anything human beings ever could have chosen, dreamed of, desired, or invented on their own. So... Although, obviously, in a sense, Sean didn't quite know what he was letting himself in for. It's, it's just an extenuation of what every marriage is as well. When you have two people who from different backgrounds and different ideas and temperaments and experiences uh, come together. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Like that. So, yeah. So, that, that's... We're just talking about relationships from there. But you go on to, obviously, a, a much... Well, you know, a very the whole the whole subject of of suicide, and uh, you know, you talk again very very openly about the, how those thoughts w- would come and fantasies would come of that even. And um, a friend Louise who did commit suicide, um, and hearing that on the first morning of the finals, and I think it's, it's just a poignant reminder. Just you know, these are serious thoughts that you know which when we bottle up inside and we're not able to feel comfortable sharing with others um the horrendous consequences of that yeah it's i think it's the very worst aspect of of depression really is that it it can be life-threatening and um it happens doesn't it people do take their own lives because they just can't bear it anymore yes and i think that's one of the reasons why it's really important to seek help and yes. to to vocalise what's going on, even if yes. it frightens you or frightens people, because yes. it doesn't. Death is not the only cure for it. That's right. And one of the things we learn as psychiatrists is that the key issue is the issue of hope. So yes. long as you've got some hope, even a, a tiny vestige of hope, that can keep you from 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 doing that that that, that ultimate act, really. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, sorry. Yeah, I, um, I was just going to say that one of one of the symptoms of depression, is, as you know, is 
thoughts of death and suicide and that doesn't always mean a plan it just could just that's where your mind goes yes and, and um that it's just one of the weird realities of living with depression is that you think a lot about death yes that's right yes and uh, in in a sense it, it's it's Death almost is a way of getting rid, rid of the pain or or, or, the, or what you're feeling as, as an escape from that. And that's why, you know, the hope element is so important in terms of... I, I've talked to people who, 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 who have been suicidal and, and you ask them, you know, what's held them back? And it's, you know, the thought of a loved one, what the impact will be on the family. Yeah. And the fact that I'm not just living for myself. And, and talking from a Christian, you know, viewpoint is that I'm... I'm made in the image of God and that, you know, I never chose to be born into this world and God has got me here for a purpose. And although I'm going through these struggles, there are things that God wants to teach me and show me. Um, the other, the other thing that a Christian faith can do, I suppose, is take, and this isn't necessarily a good thing, but it can take the fear of death away and it mm. can, the, the idea that the picture in Revelation that they'll, there'll be an end to suffering and yeah and that can make it all seem very inviting yes right and (laughs) yeah that's right that that, that there is hope in it well oh i see you're saying that 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 dying then and i would as as a christian saying that then that i might as well die then because there's something yes so for me um i did think it was sort of win-win but what held me back was my the impact it would have on people yes exactly yes and I suppose, that the, again, I think when we're depressed and we become so self-absorbed, we forget that we do have an impact on people and that we do matter to others and that I'm not living just for myself. I'm actually, I'm living for God and for others as well. There's, you know, there's things that God wants to do in me and through me um, for within, you know, within my family, for my children, for my, you know, for, for the people who, who are around me as well. Um, John White, the psychiatrist, uh, you quote him in, in the book, says, let us grant that suicide is not only tragic, but sinful. Let us accept that life is a precious gift from God and that issues of life and death belong to their author. But, as, but let us look on those who take their lives with the compassion with which Jesus looked at on all sinners. Indeed, if compassion is called for, surely some suicide victims call for more ca- compassion than other sinners. And so while we acknowledge, you know, the deep depth of pain people struggling with depression and suicidal feelings go through, we want to do everything we can to, to say to them or to maybe even to people who might be listening right now that there is hope and that God doesn't want you to take your life, that he does want, you know, that, 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 that there can be light at the time. It might not feel like it. It might not seem like it. Um... But, you know, when the night is the darkest, that's just before the dawn. And it's living with with that perseverance and that hope. And again, as we're talking as Christians as well, um, Christ went through his dark night of the soul for us. And so there is someone who cares. There is someone who is who is there for you. It doesn't feel like it doesn't seem like it, but you do matter. Again, going back to your um, your mother's letter to you when, when, when you were younger um that that, that yeah. these are lies you're telling yourself that these that what you're telling yourself at the moment is just not true 
do, yeah, yeah. Do, do you want to say anything on that, Joe? Yeah. Well, just, yeah, to agree with you, really, there are times where you absolutely cannot trust your own thoughts and it's dangerous to rationalise with yourself because you can't hear it. So at those times, you have to fall back on on truth that you have embedded in earlier times and in happier times and yes. in, in the scripture and in love that people have for you. And Yes. So let's... So so there's holding on to that at that point and then there's as it were as you come through that it's then getting through each day and chapter eight is, is entitled survival and it's a great chapter i'm going to repeat what i said at the beginning you need to go and get this book through the dark woods by joanna swinney okay published by lion hudson and chapter eight has got it's, it's got a lot of um areas you know to cover I mean, I can read them out. I'm going to read them out, the titles. And what I'm going to ask you, Joe, is let's talk about, you know, some of these. I don't think we can cover all of them. But let's, you say, read and memorise truth, prepare for your black spots, write lists, exercise, treat yourself, laugh, do something for someone else, make friends with an animal. Be, we've just got a puppy, so that's why I'm smiling. Oh, wow. <laughs> make friends with an animal. Be creative. Say, say thank you prayers. Pay attention to your dreams. Um... Uh, safe places, safe people, avoid unsafe people, journal, find thoughts that trigger negative feelings. Um, oh, yes, you get, yes. Uh, take care of the basics. Melissa's yummy soup. Yes, uh, we, we actually, we, we cooked that one time. My, my wife cooked that one time, I remember. Just, uh, uh -huh. uh, learning relaxation techniques, listen to music, play, be kind to yourself. It's a great chapter. So do get the book and do... You know, if you're not going to read nothing else, read chapter eight is what I'd say. But um, yeah, let's let's talk about some of those. Which, which, which ones do you want to start with, um, Jo? Well, I think um, taking care of the basics is really key. Yeah. Yes. Um, in terms of looking after your body, getting enough sleep, exercise, creates endorphins, doesn't it, that give Absolutely. you a bit of a natural yeah. lift. And there's something about our culture that says it's very sort of um, macho to to thrive on, I don't know, five, six hours of sleep. But I think, I mean, all the research shows that's complete baloney. You do need sleep. It, sleep is so important. Yeah, so like that. And I think the symptoms of extreme tiredness are quite close to the symptoms mm. of depression. So yes. if, I mean, obviously, sometimes you can't get sleep, like if you've got a newborn baby or if you're sick. Yes. But, if you, you know, have any say over it, you can do things like get a regular bedtime and yes, uh, not put, not take your screen to bed with you and that yes. kind of thing. That's right. But but we you know we do need eight to nine hours of sleep. Uh, really to emphasise, and even for for mothers with 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 young babies, um, the advice that we got when we had our children was for the mother was sleep when the baby sleeps. Um, don't, uh, what, don't don't worry what day or, what day time of day or night it is. If it's the afternoon and the baby's sleeping, then you sleep as well. That's so important. Yeah. So take care of the basics and, and also, yeah, and make sure you're eating well. Melissa's yummy soup, the recipe that you quote in there as well. Yeah. Like that. Like that. Anything else about taking care of the basics? Right. Um, I know it's just common sense really, isn't it? But I think it does have a huge impact on, on, the, whole, on the whole picture. Yes. Um, you've also talked about... Uh, well, there's such a long, yeah. Um, 
prepare for your black spots. Do you want to say anything about that? Well, I think I definitely noticed there were certain times of day or even certain times of week where I could see trouble coming because mm. it was a pattern. Yeah. So, um, as an example, I used to find the very early mornings and getting up really difficult. So, yes. for a while, my housemates and then later Sean used to make me a cup of tea and come and sit with me and in the first bit of waking up, yes, just for company, which is amazing. Yes. Um, other people I've heard of have got have done things like ask a few friends to give them a call first yeah. thing. Phone them yes. for a friendly voice. Yeah. Um, there Absolutely. are things like, um, well, for some people it might be like a four o'clock sugar dip, um, or it might be a time of year that you know, as winter approaches, that you're going to have issues, or that you know that a certain anniversary is a big trigger for depression for you. And if you if you can prepare for those things, then you're better armed. You can yes. come up with strategies. You can work out in advance how you're going to handle it and what extra support you can put in place. Yes. And then maybe it won't hit you quite so full on. Yeah, so to be forewarned is to be forearmed, exactly. So it, it doesn't it doesn't knock you sideways as, uh, out of the blue. That That's really yeah. helpful. And I think that the importance is, again, we've, we've talked about the importance of, of, of trusted friends. Um, they say that, uh, I think, people who, not having, you know, supportive friendships is as, is as damaging to your health as smoking a packet of cigarettes a day, that kind of thing. So it's... Uh, yeah. So it, it, it's... I still, to this day, have got a list of five people in the back of my diary, right. my, my planner. Yeah. And um, I know that they are people I can call if, if I need to. I also try and keep them in the loop if I feel like I'm starting to head in a bad direction and I'll let them know yes and they then keep tabs on me and it's just sort of a, a system that helps me feel like I'm not going to fall through the cracks with no one yeah. noticing okay that's really yes no absolutely you talk as well about keeping a journal just on that um do you want to talk about that yeah so I I think journal keeping can can be good. It can also. I think you also need to watch out that you don't just write your droopy, mopey, sad thoughts yes. down. Yes. Um, it can be a good way to force yourself to be consciously grateful for things, to notice the good in your life. Maybe sometimes it can have a function to help you record how long and how bad you've been feeling. But yes. it's um. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because because I've I've I, I currently keep a journal and I've sort of gone in and out of keeping journals. I, I used to initially when I started journaling, I just used to write about the things that I, I was feeling at the time and my negative self talk. What was helpful was that when I would look at it, say six months later, I would see just because obviously a lot of it was about fears and worries and anxieties about what could happen and might happen. And when you read those six months a year later, you realise actually none of this came true or things turned out completely different to what you thought. And so it's it's a helpful reminder that what I'm thinking is not necessarily based in reality at all. So that was quite therapeutic in that sense. But, yeah. but what I've, but what the exercise that I've done for a few years um, is before going to bed is that I write down at least three things to, that I'm thankful for in that day. So it's, it's a way of, as it were, training my mind to look for the positive and to look for things to be, to be grateful for. Um, yeah, that's a really good discipline. Really so, good. 
So I'd encourage our, our listeners to think about that. Um, also, actually, yeah, find the thoughts that trigger negative feelings. You write about that. Um, do you want That's to... the basis for cognitive behavioural therapy, isn't yes. it? Although I actually didn't um, know anything about that when I was writing sure. the book. And I think it just works on the premise that thoughts lead, feelings lead, behaviour. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Absolutely, yes. So sometimes we just let our thoughts chanter on and we don't question them. And yeah. then we then we claim or then we are surprised that we feel yeah. bad results. So sometimes just stopping yourself in your tracks and working out what thought it was that took, took you to that emotion yes. is really helpful. Exactly, because a single thought can, can take you completely down the wrong alley. Um, and I, I always remember, um, I, I don't know if you come across a book, a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones called Spiritual Depression. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Apparently, I think George, a guy called George, George Wehrer used to recommend reading it, but he found people would get depressed reading it. So oh. I've, got it, I've got it on my shelf. But, uh, I have not... it on my shelf and I've never read it. <laughs> no. But there is one small section where he says, which, the, the insight that he's got there is, uh, and we can save you read, our listeners are reading it as well. One insight <laughs> there is, um, most of what he says is, most of our problems in life come because we're listening to ourselves rather than, he said, I think, speak, rather than preaching or speaking to ourselves. And what he means is that when you wake up in the morning, you have all this sort of negative gunk that's there. And if you start listening to that negative gunk, it can very easily begin to spiral you downwards. And, you know, as, as, as both of us are, as disciples of Christ, what the, what the reminder there is, I need to, first of all, the first things I need to, as it were, fill my mind with are scriptural truths of God's love, his goodness, his grace, his mercy, the fact that he's in control, the fact that it's all about him and not about me. And as I, as it were, preach those messages and speak that truth to myself and memorize that deep within, then that gives me the strength, as it were, to, to face the day and move forward. Yeah, definitely. And I found that enormously helpful, actually, over the last few years, realizing that that's, if you like, that uh, if I don't do that, then there are negative thoughts that can, as it were, trigger me into a downward spiral um you've got here um let just remind you some stuff you've got here um uh, write lists exercise treat yourself laugh do you need any of those you want to to highlight well the list writing um is quite a helpful tool just in the fact that life can feel quite overwhelming when you when you're suffering with depression yes writing lists sort of breaks it down into small and manageable tasks and when you can tick things off it gives you a sense of being a little bit in control and yes that you're handling your life in a positive way yes you're getting out of of your head as it were yes yeah and there have been times when I've written ridiculous lists like um get dressed and do my teeth have a cup of tea you know that level you sure there's sometimes the, the entire day looks undoable, but if you if you can get it on paper, you feel like it's somehow yes. just a step by step. Absolutely, thing. yeah. And and having said that, you know, and I suppose this is the reminder as well is that although it feels sort of so basic, and yet there are people in the world who say who've suffered a stroke, for example, who they would give anything to be able to get dressed because they're paralysed and, and things like that, and it's just sort of 
helping yourself to sort of, in a sense, be thankful, you know, in a sense, although you might not feel it, say, you know, I, I know I thank you, God, that I, I do have hands and feet and arms and legs uh, and help me to appreciate that. Although you, it, it doesn't always, it's not, it's not always easy, right, except. Yeah. And some, some tasks, while they might be insignificant when you're healthy and happy and when you're in a good place, they they are a significant achievement. Yes. Um, that you should celebrate that you've done. I think. Yes. No. Absolutely. And again, that's why that 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 sort of leads into the danger of comparison and sort of comparing yourself with others. Uh, just 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 don't go down there. Really. We've each yeah. got different struggles. We've each got different. We're each on different journeys. We can certainly be learned from each other and be inspired by each other. But just don't compare yourself with other people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I've just read one, one on the list. You, pay attention to your dreams, and uh, you had one month to decide whether to marry your ex-boyfriend. Um, ah, I forgot <laughs> I put that in the book. <laughs> you put that in the book. Yeah. You put it in the book, so I feel I feel safe raising it. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Do you want to say anything about that, or? Oh well, <clears throat> the dream. It was fairly, fairly an. Fairly obvious. I was getting married to the chap, and in my dream, and I was wearing a black wedding dress, and oh. everybody. It was in this kind of cavernous, dark cathedral, and everyone was crying and wailing. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> and I, I woke up, and I, I had been feeling all kinds of, um, unjoyous feelings, but that dream really yeah. helped me know what I really felt about it. <laughs> yes. Okay, so that that was it. That was, so so it's, it's a good thing you paid attention to to that dream anyway. Yeah, like that. I think if you remember your dreams, sometimes not. No, I think the best advice I was ever given about dreams because yeah. I dream very vividly and I always remember them was not to pay so much attention to what's happening in them on the surface, but what the feelings behind them are. Ah, yeah. The feelings will often relate to something I'm processing from. Yes. what's going on in my life and it can help me identify what it is I'm feeling about that yes oh, that's very helpful okay let's move on again I'll say if, if Joe's got some really great stuff in, in in that chapter and if you want to know more you know where to go to, to go and buy the book okay through the dark woods by Joe Swinney okay let's talk, let's move on let's talk about spirituality um because I think that's, I think, reading the book is, is something that you feel quite passionate about, is the way that, um, particularly in the church uh, and our perception of depression, but also what the scriptures talk about in, to in terms of talking about depression. Do you want to say a little bit about that? Well, I heard someone say recently that um, modern psychology hadn't really come into existence till 1950, but definitely depression's been around whether oh, yes. it's called that or not a lot yes and i recognize um quite a lot of depression in david's psalms for example and there's the story of elijah who having defeated the prophets of baal yes who was, was, was quite burnt under, out i think as well he was yeah he was burnt he out. and um yeah well it, it's it's all over the shop and i think yes. that's quite um because it, the Bible represents life in all its extremes and all of its yes. shape and, and light. So 
Yes. Actually, and just with the, the Elijah story, I think it's very salutary because here you have Elijah. He's goes through this intense experience with the prophets of Baal. And Queen Jezebel says, right, I'm going to kill you for this. And he runs away and he basically says to God, just kill me. You know, just have, I've, I've had enough. And interestingly, God in his graciousness doesn't, as it were, preach a sermon and say, get, get yourself together. He basically gets him to have some sleep and gets the ravens to bring him food. He, he deals with his physical needs. Yeah. And then he gives him an assistant to help him. Yes, that absolutely. So, again, that that's I think often the the there's a view of depression as being somehow a sign of weakness, uh, but but actually, it's it's part of being human, um, and an awareness of our vulnerability as well. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to say about in terms of spirituality or the or the or, or the view of the church with depression? Well, just to say that it's complicated. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. complicated being a Christian who has depression because it muddles up your ideas of God. It muddles up how you see yourself in terms of what God thinks of you. And yes, and it can just get complicated. But the other thing is that as a Christian with depression, you do have this amazing thing to hold on to, which is God's presence with you, whether you feel it or not. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and and, and yes. Um, on on the blog, we've we've got this uh, video of um, of Nick Vujacic, who is born with no arms and no legs. And he's got a, a deep faith as well, mm. uh, and how he's able to, in a sense, not allow the apparent physical weakness to affect his own internal state of mind. Um, but I, I encourage you know, if you're having a down day, it's, it's always an inspiring video to, to watch. Um, yeah, just 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 to see how someone else. Uh, deals with with the negativity in their life. Um, let's let's keep focus on 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 um, moving on in terms of spirituality in the church. You talk about three kinds of story. Uh, do you want to tell us what that is and why that's important? Um, <laughs> I think story is how we understand um, the world, how we make sense of it, and um, there's. The big story, which is our part in God's narrative, the overarching creation mm. for redemption yeah. arc that we have a place within. Yeah. Then there's the, the stories that we tell of ourselves and our life and what's going on with us in a, in a smaller sense, the subplot. Yeah. And then there's fiction. Um, and fiction has can give us a very helpful kind of framework or gives us other other narratives that we can use to make sense of yes life yes and and you quote uh, you're quoting from your book it says stories and storytelling are integral to being human within the privacy of our own heads we experience life as a series of integrated stories which when collected together become the anthology of our personal experience these are genuine na narratives, constructions that link factual events and episodes of emotional significance. As we tell ourselves these stories, we give important people, places and events 
their own special meaning. And so, as you say, yeah, there, there, there's the story of our own lives, there's fiction, but there's this also this, what I think you talk about, this great meta-narrative, the story of what God is doing in in the world. And um, again, from the, from the book, you quote John Eldridge, who says, the gospel says that we, who are God's beloved, create a cosmic crisis. It says, we too were stolen from our true love and that he launched the greatest campaign in the history of the world to get us back. God created us for intimacy with him. When we turned our back on him, he promised to come for us. He sent personal messengers. He used beauty and affliction to recapture our hearts. After all else failed, he conceived the most daring of plans. Under the cover of night, he stole into the enemy's camp incognito, the ancient of days, disguised as a newborn. Um, and there's something about that, if you like, the, the gift of depression, in a sense, showing us our weakness and vulnerability and showing us the seriousness of life um, and that, that we're here on earth for a very serious reason. And this is a personal battle that we have to struggle with, but that there is meaning and purpose behind it. Um, yeah, I think you, you, you talk about, um, about redemption and as, you, as it were, once you get through those dark woods, you, you or as you as you go through, you know, you get a different perspective. Do you, do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? It's easier to think of it in terms of gift and redemption and all those good things when you're out of it, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's easy. <laughs> but, but then holding on to it when you're going through those dark moments as well is... Is even more powerful because it, you know it, 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 it's easy to love God and be joyful when the sun is shining, but when it's when you're going through the, that those dark nights of the soul, and you're saying no, okay, I don't feel anything. I feel no love for God. I feel no love for other people. I feel totally negative and worthless. But I'm still going to do my baby steps. I'm still going to inch forward because that's all I've got energy for. There's something very, very... Going back to Job, yeah. he's an example of somebody who refused to curse God. He refused to yes. to denounce God's goodness, even when he could have argued that there was evidence that yes. God didn't care or didn't love yeah. him anymore. But he yeah. just held on yes. doggedly to, to what he knew to be true. And there's definitely something about... Ex- about holding on to faith in depression that does grow your spiritual muscle and it draws on those roots that you put down and it forces them to go deeper. Yes. And it gives, um, yeah, and it still gives you a grit, a certain empathy, which otherwise you may never have had. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I um, think people who have experienced depression are often very compassionate and they don't have black and white views of the world and they they can be with suffering people and and hold them without panicking whereas if if you haven't experienced that it can be quite frightening off-putting yes yes you, you, you say in the book the depression and subsequent recovery has left me with more awareness and gratitude for for small pleasures in life um, and each time I've gone through a time of depression come out of the other side and found I've survived I've gained a little more confidence and strength to face life's coming challenges. 
I still have moments of quaking in my boots at the very thought of getting depressed again, but mostly I have a quiet knowledge that if it happens, I will get through it as I have before. Um, and I think also of, of Nietzsche's quote, he says, I think, because of the saw in my foot, I can jump higher than anyone with sound feet. And so there's that sort of paradoxical thing that, that because you go through that experience, it, it, you know, as you go through that, the potential to impact other people's lives and to make a difference um, is all the more greater as well than if you hadn't gone through it. So, you, you know, so Joe, you would never have written this book if you hadn't gone through what you went through. It would never have come out. Very true. <laughs> Very true. Um, we're coming towards the end. Um, are there any sort of final thoughts or things you, 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 you'd like to share with us? My parting shot. <laughs> Your parting shot. <laughs> what should it be? Well, I... I think what I would like to finish on is what we were talking about, the importance of hope. Mm. And there are, there's a lot of help out there for depression. Understanding about it is growing. I think the stigma is hopefully decreasing little by little. Mm. And I would just say to people who, who maybe are realising that this might be what's going on, yeah. Just really, there's no shame in, in getting some help. Go to your GP, research talk therapies, consider medication, maybe that yes. might be a route for you, but don't feel that you have to live in this new reality. It can be beaten, it, it can be defeated, and it doesn't have to be be the way that you feel and the way that you are forever. Yes. No, absolutely. And um, just again to, 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 to mention Joe's book, Through the Dark Woods uh, by Joanna Swinney, um, available from Amazon. We'll have a link to it on, on the website. Uh, also, there is an um, e-book that I've written on strategies to, 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 to manage negative thinking in modern life. Again, that's available on drsunil.com. Joe's website is joeswinney.com. Uh, and again, there'll be other resources on, on there as well. To close, I, I, I wanted just for us to close with, with a prayer that um, I've always found myself going back to. The first part of it's very, very famous. Um, and when I, when I read it out to you, uh, our listeners will know it. But the second part, I think, speaks very powerfully uh, to people struggling with depression. Uh, it says, God give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. Courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. But then he, he goes on to say, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Amen. So, Joe, thank you so much. And um, again, thank you again for listening to the Making Sense of Life podcast. Goodbye for now.
If you've enjoyed today's conversation, you can get all the show notes for this episode from drsunil.com. And could you do us a favour? Head over to iTunes to rate the programme. This is by far the best way to get this content into the hands of those who need it most. Also, do you think about who you could pass details of the podcast on to? Don't forget to check out the blog for more great content. That's drsunil.com, helping you to make sense of life in a challenging and complex world. Until next time, goodbye for now.